content today is about engaging your learners. Now, I'll be talking about engaging learners in a PE lesson, as I'm a qualified trained PE teacher, but I'll also be talking about how to engage your learners in a classroom as well. So I'll be talking about different strategies to help you. Now, the first few bits of advice and tips I'd give for PE lessons, because you have lots of non-kitters, because parents, they might have had bad experiences in PE lessons in the past, Therefore, they're going to be writing notes for their child to get them out of PE lessons because their child probably doesn't like it. Or they might, the child might be injured and have a cast on their arm or a bandage and have injured themselves in some way and they can't participate in the lesson. Or they've just got their kit because they just don't like PE. They don't want to bring their PE kit. There are different ways that you can engage these learners in your lesson because whether you're teaching PE in a classroom or in, sorry, whether you're teaching PE or you're teaching in a classroom as a classroom-based teacher, your observers will spot those students that aren't engaged and they'll go straight to those students and ask them questions. So we have to implement ways and strategies to get our students engaged in lessons the majority of the time. <laughs> Try and hit 100% of students engaged so that we get the best observation we can get in our lessons. So in terms of a PE lesson, also in the classroom, give students a role by giving them a responsibility of some kind. It makes them feel important. It makes them feel like they've got an important role to play in your lesson and that can increase their confidence so for example in a PE lesson I might make my non-kitter in charge of assessing one student I'll say right you've got the student here's your, I'll give them an assessment sheet here's your sheet I want you to assess that student I want you to go and give them feedback and guide them and help them throughout the lesson or you may give them a small group to work with a small group to do a skill with for example a certain techniques to focus on or in the classroom maybe then you may put them in a small group to work with where they are the leader of that group. They delegate jobs and roles to that group. They do the research, maybe, and give other people ideas so they can write it down. For example, if someone's got an injured arm, they can't actually write. Um, or in a P lesson, you're giving them a role as a mini coach. You're giving them a group to work with and train with, and they do a little session with them, or they lead the warm-up. But you give them some sort of responsibility to make them feel like they're important. They've got an important role to play in that lesson. Now again with P lessons, when you're doing QA or mini QAs throughout the lesson, make sure you involve that student. Make sure you target questions at that student as well. Don't just leave them out thinking, oh, they can't take part physically, but they can still learn. They can still learn about how to do develop how to develop your skills and improve skills. They can learn about the importance of skills and when to implement certain strategies or tactics or why someone's skill wasn't accurate for example passing football why didn't that student pass accurate football like they'll be able to give you an idea that analyze that and skill and give a breakdown of that skill to show that they understand their learning lessons same in the classroom based lesson it's not very practical anyway so they can still be included in q a sessions they can still have questions directed them because it's not physical anyway so they'll still be learning in some way even though they can't write that lesson now if they're unable to write, like I said, for some reason they've broken their arm, they've got a cast on their arm, then pair them up with the student and they can work together. You can have one person who can't write, maybe doing the research on, if they've got a laptop, if you have Chromebooks for your students, they can do the research or they can flip through the textbook and do the research and they can give verbal answers or verbal information to the partner who can write or can type and put notes together. They can talk and discuss situation scenarios so they can be involved in some way shape or form in the learning with other students they're not just left out because they can't write or type in some way now you can even get them to 
For example, if you've got students who are disruptive, they just don't like the lesson, that's why they're not engaged in the lesson. They don't like the subject, they don't like learning about it. Again, give them some sort of responsibility, give them some sort of important role to play. So, for example, I have one student who just doesn't like to focus, would rather be out of the classroom, I'll give her tasks to help me with a lesson, whether it's handing out worksheets or handing out the books. Um, I'll actually get her to come to the whiteboard and I'll give her the whiteboard pen and get her to make notes on the board for me. I'll even get her to select students to provide answers. I just want to give her some sort of role. I'll give her some sort of role to help her feel like she's involved in the lesson, feel like she's engaging in the lesson and actually enjoying the lesson. I'm trying to create positive experiences for her, for that student, so that she'll want to come to my lessons and learn in the future, not cause disruptions and not want to leave the lesson because she's just not enjoying it. So make sure you give those students a role, make them feel like they're important, or have little games, have little competitions in your lesson for your students to thrive on. Students love competitions, they really do. And you can even give them some sort of incentive. Okay, you shouldn't really be giving sweets and chocolates out to students, but you can say, right, you're going to pack up five minutes early. So when the pips go, or three minutes early, when the pips and the bell goes, you'll be the first one out the door so that they've got something to work towards. Or even a phone call home. That can mean so much for students, especially students that are quite disruptive and cause a lot of disruption regularly, because you don't know how many negative phone calls they've already had in the week from teachers to their parents. And that one phone call can really make a difference. It can really improve your relationship with that student or a postcard home if you do postcards home or an email. But that one, that one acknowledgement to a parent that your child's done really well this lesson or um, your young individuals have done really well this lesson and that will make that child feel so much better about themselves as well. And it'll make them more likely want to learn and want to be engaged in your lessons more often. So praise, praise students publicly. And phone calls home, emails home, just a way to acknowledge that you've seen that they're doing really well or they've done really well in your lesson or they, you've given them a task and you know they're quite disruptive student, they know that they struggle but you've given them a task and they've done it and they've gone with it and they've really shown you that they can do something. It's a praise them, even if you have to give them a role to get them engaged, get them focused, still praise them, well done, like tell them how good they were because it's going to boost their confidence and they're more likely to get involved next time. Now, there are lots of other different strategies that you can implement in lessons to encourage your students to take part, to engage them more effectively in the lessons, in the learning, so that if an observer does come in and observe, that they won't spot the ones that aren't engaged in cause disruption and go over to them and talk to them. They'll see that your learners are engaged because they're enjoying the lesson because you've created a positive environment for them. So I've sort of already mentioned this a little bit, but active learning. So plan activities in your lesson where students can take part in groups, in mini pairs, have little competitions set up to help your learners become more, enjoy the lesson a lot more and engage a lot more in your lessons. But one of the most important things is make the content relevant to your students. Create connections between the content and real world, real life issues or real life event scenarios for your students because they're more likely to engage, they're more likely to want to discuss these issues as a class or in a pair or in a group. They're more likely want to, will enjoy the lesson a lot more, enjoy the learning a lot more and they'll put their all in the learning, they'll put their all in completing the work for you because it's something that you've like created some sort of relation, relate, you relate it somehow 
the content to real life issues, real life things that they can relate to themselves. Also, try and personalise learning to your students. So don't expect them all to make notes and write in one format, for example. If your students all have Chromebooks, some schools give all the students Chromebooks now when they start. Don't make them all do the same document the same way. Differentiate. Differentiation is really important. Personalised learning. So, for example, I have students that I know hate working on the computer, don't want to do it, and would rather do it by hand. They love creating posters and doing all sorts of designs, and that's how I get them to do their work. I said, right, fantastic. I want to show. I want you to show me. I'll give them a question, for example, or content, and I want them to produce it in that way because they'll love it. They'll really enjoy it because you're showing that you know what their interests are. And you know that how they, you know the way that they prefer to learn in lessons, which means you're going to get the best out of them. Some students love producing PowerPoint slides. They don't want to do documents. Let them do PowerPoint slides. Personalise the learning for your students. Allow some sort of freedom in how they produce the work because they'll feel like they have a choice in the lesson. And when students feel like they have a choice in doing, some, in doing something some way in the lesson, that's going to make them feel better about wanting to do the work and engage in the work learning. You're going to get the best work out of them, best quality work out of them, because they're doing it the way that they're interested in and that they like doing. So that's something that's really important. Make sure that you personalise it in some way. And when it comes to linking, I've just remembered, when it comes to linking content, now I had a class of year 12 students. Most of them were footballers. They absolutely loved football. They played for football teams, boys and girls. So most of the stuff I talked about, I related, I linked to football, I linked to football players, I linked to the effects of body, the effects on the body of football in terms of exercise, the musculoskeletal system, cardiovascular system. I linked everything to football. And when it came to our sociology unit, social and sport, we love that unit, I linked everything again to football, all the different issues or sociological things that we tackle through football. And they learnt so much better in that way they did so much better on their assignments so much better in the exam because it was linked to something that was so relevant to them so important to them now incorporating technology is another great way to engage your learners so you could do this through incorporating videos mini videos of potentially yourself <laughs> delivering content for them to refer to while they're completing assignments for example or voice notes I used to put voice notes on documents for students who I knew didn't like reading or um, had an SEM need and they struggled in terms of reading or they couldn't they handle large amounts of text. So I'd just do a voice note where I'd talk to them and they'd, I'd allow them to use their headphones and their lessons to listen to my voice notes. And that works so much better for them because they have to worry about reading reels and reels and reels of information because they, they like to listen. They're more auditory than visual. And more, for example, games. Educational games, there are so many educational games online that you can use, you can implement in your lessons, depending on your subject, of course. Um, I currently teach in SEN school, and I'm teaching a census, unit called, um, a census unit called Health and Safety in Workplace. That's one of my lessons I have to teach. And I found so many educational health and safety games online that talk, help kids remember the signs and symbols. So I taught them the signs and symbols. I did little quizzes with them on the signs and symbols. I did quizzes using Kahoot. And I found these games that they played. And at the end of the game, it provided them a certificate and a score. So finding those little things can really help your learners, can really engage them in lessons in the classroom. Now, of course, this is in the classroom, not in terms of PE lessons, but for PE teachers, 
I used to have, I used to take camera um, or iPads, iPods even, if you have iPods, to my lessons. And I used to get kids to video each other when they worked in groups, worked in pairs, and we did gymnastics. My non-kitters, my non-kitters had the cameras and iPods and they went around and videoed and helped groups analyse, getting, getting kids engaged in their learning when they can't take part. And I got into video performances and they used to analyse performances, look them, look back and go, oh, no, we did this wrong here. And then they can, they, that helps them learn a lot better. Helps them develop their analysing skills, helps them evaluate the performance and then put in things to improve their performance. They went and worked on that, improved it, and then you took a video again so they could see how it improved. So using technology and lessons is so important. It really is. It can really engage your learners and get the best out of them and they'll really enjoy the lessons. Now try and create collaborative resources. Now in a drama lesson, the peer lesson, okay, working collaboratively is quite easy to do because they've got to work in groups and pairs. But in the classroom, there are ways that you can do this, whether it's whether your students are working in books still, you can put them in groups and sit them in certain groups and give them a task where they've got to each have a role in the group and they work together in terms of doing that. That's another thing that you could do. So if you're working on a Chromebook, what I used to love doing with my six formers, I used to create collaborative documents. I used to put them in mini groups of four and create a document just for that group of four that they used to work on together. And I used to actually mix the groups up. I used to have low level, I used to have um, more able and less able in the same group because the lower level students and less able students, the ones that were struggling, learned so much more from more able students. But within that document, I differentiate tasks for each student so that I'd have a specific task for the low level, low, I mean, less ability, they say less able students, sorry, to work on. And for the more able, they had a harder, more challenging task. But they could work together, the more able could support and help the less able students. So create a collaborative document. I've even done it with the whole class before, the whole class. And I used to create PowerPoint, Google Slides, sorry, I used to create a whole Google Slides doc, the whole class. On one of the first slides, I had them in their groups. I said, right, these are the groups. I had their names. I had ABC next to each person so they knew what letter they were and what group they were in. And on each slide, they had tasks to do. Not on each slide, sorry. On various slides, they had tasks to do because some tasks, some slides had content on but that way they were all collaborating, they were all working. And if someone was really strong in their group, didn't understand, they could go and look at another person's answer on the slides, see what they were writing, so that they can then form their own answer. Yes, of course, you have to set high expectations at the start, you have to let them know about not making silly comments to each other on the slides, of course, you have to do that. Set your behavior management, um, not copying and pasting answers from other people. It's okay to look at other people's answers, it's okay to do that as long as they are formulating, forming their own answers with their own words after they've done that, after they've looked at someone else's answers. Because I say to students all the time, in practical PE lessons and classroom-based lessons, go, oh, so-and-so copied me, so-and-so's copied me, I've done that first, that's my idea. But I have to teach them and show them, well, actually, that's a compliment, that's a good thing, because they're looking to you for help. So instead of feeling angry that they've copied you or insulted, See that as a benefit, that's a positive thing because they want you to help them, they're looking for your support. Um, but it is really important to make sure your students make your students aware not to copy answers and just copy and paste, have to write them in their own way. So you have to have some sort of behavior policy, behavior management in place for your class to, for this to work effectively. But it does really work, it really works well. And I did this in an Ofsted lesson, Ofsted thought my lesson was brilliant because I had a whole Google Slides 
students working in groups, I was asking questions to start, I was directing questions at students, but allowing them to form an answer. So for example, I had one student who had um, specific needs, SEM needs. I directed a question to her, so I'm going to come back to you in five minutes, I'm going to allow you to find the answer. This is your question. I want you to formulate an answer, I'm going to come back to you. And while she was doing that, I went and directed the question to another student who I knew was more able and could answer, give me a response um, and not need the five, ten minutes to find an answer. So I went to that, which is not a bad thing, but I went to that more able student and I asked them a different question and got an answer for them while they were formulating an answer. So it gave them a sense of accomplishment because it allowed that student to formulate an answer, to give me a good, she gave me a really good answer um, and it gave her a role in the lesson. And even though she was finding an answer to one question while I'm asking a different student another question, she wasn't missing out on the content because she was in a group. So someone in her group was already making notes on the answer from this student. So she wasn't missing out. She can refer to that after. Um, so make sure you do that. Make sure that you create some sort of collaborative document to help your students in the lessons, to help them learn and to help them support each other. Because that's the, way, that's the best way they're going to learn, not just from you, from each other as well. Now, mix up your lessons in terms of the style that you use, the how you structure your lessons, what you do in lessons. Mix it up. Don't have the same set, same style every single lesson. Use different teaching styles because I'll engage learners a lot more. Okay, don't be authoritative all the all the time, every single time, every single lesson. Some teachers, there's old, it's an old phrase that we we, we use. But some teachers are chalk and talk. They like to write, write, write and get the students and talk to the students and get the students to make notes. But you need to mix it up. You need to use different teaching strategies, different styles of learning to help your, your learners. Yes, do some authority. Yes, do some where you're leading, you're taking charge, teacher-led, but then do some activities where they're pairing and sharing and working together, working collaboratively. Some discovery activities where you want them to actually work independently, but to formulate their answer, try and discover what it could be, give them an opportunity to do that. So for example, I might get my students working in a small group in badminton, for example, doesn't matter what sport, badminton, they work in a small group on a court, and I say, well, I just want you to play, and I want you to look at the shots that you're using and when you use them, I want you to work out when, when, when's the best time to use certain shots, and get them to discover that and work out. It doesn't matter if they get it wrong, but they're working together to try and find an answer. For example, netball, they could work in groups of four, four v four, or three v three, and you're getting them to work out what you've got. These different passes, you've got chest pass, bounce pass, and shoulder pass. I want you to play together and work out which pass is best used when and why, and they form an answer together. So use a variety of teaching styles. Don't just get students to do the same thing or teach the same way every time. Mix it up because they're more likely to enjoy the lesson, engage the lesson because you're making it fun, really. Make it more fun, you're not making it boring for them. They're not gonna expect the same thing every single lesson from you. Now, I've already mentioned this earlier, but positive reinforcement. So make sure you're praising your students, make sure you're rewarding them in some sort of way, whether it's a phone call or a postcard, or letting them leave, bang on as soon as the pips go, as soon as the bell goes. Um, but you've got to have that positive reinforcement in some way to make the student feel like they've achieved something, they've accomplished something, and it's been acknowledged. That's the, it's the acknowledgement that's important. My teacher has acknowledged that I've done this this lesson, and that has made me feel proud. It improves their self-esteem, so it will benefit them in the long run, as well as you as a teacher. Make sure you use active listening. So if a student 
is giving you answers or telling you something or needs to talk to you, listen to them. Sit and listen actively. Don't be talking or looking in other directions and not really, okay, and off you go. Like, listen to them. Demonstrate those active listening skills because it shows that you care. You care about what they're saying. Um, It shows you're empathetic towards them and they're less likely to misbehave for you if you're going to listen to them and take on board what they're saying to you. Now, like I said this earlier as well, differentiate instructions. Make sure that you differentiate not just the tasks that you're doing in your lessons with your students, but differentiate your questioning. Now, in another in an earlier video, um, I did inclusive questioning. And this is part of inclusive questioning as well. We differentiate your questioning. So you'll pose a question to the class. You allow them thinking time, 10, 20, 10 seconds, 15 seconds thinking time. Pair up with somebody else to share answers to help formulate an answer if they haven't got one before you select students to answer. No hands up, you just pick students directly, use their name to get them to answer to one of your questions. But I will, I will build my questions up. So I'll start with a question that I know most of the students will be able to answer. And then I'll build it up. So once I've posed the question and they've had time to think and share, I'll, it's called pounce. I'll pounce on a student, get an answer from them, but then I'll bounce that to another student, so I'll pick on another student to give me a more detailed answer and I'll make it more challenging this time because it's getting them to think a little bit more, develop their knowledge and develop their understanding. So differentiate your instructions some way, shape or form. Whether it's like I said, using voice notes, not using so many words on a page or not talking and using so many words, instructions to students, use keywords, like give them simple, clear instructions the students that need those to help them access the learning to help them develop their learning okay it's not a sign of weakness for the student at all we have students that need that whether they have special education needs or not we have students that need that differentiated instruction to help them access the lessons to help them access the learning so they can progress and they can improve as well so make sure you differentiate your your instruction to help engage those learners as well so they're not calling low level instructions because they can't access your learning and because that's what's going to lead to low level disruption. Students that can't access the learning, students that can't answer questions and they don't want to look bad, they're going to act like the class clown because they don't want their students, they don't want their peers to make fun of them. Okay, so differentiate instructions to support your learners.